And Lord, are you, as you are the king who gave all for us, I pray, Lord, that we would embrace that example and, Lord, we would give all for you. And so once again, we just open your word, Lord, for the practical instruction that is contained there, that, Lord, we would be the better off, closer to you, Lord, as we leave this place than when we have come. And so, Father, just bless us, speak to us, guide us in and through your word, that, Lord, we would just honor you in all that we do, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn and greet your neighbor? Neighbors, greetings. Good morning. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll be picking up at verse 7. And as always, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along. And there should be one in front of you underneath the seat. But if there isn't and you need a Bible, raise your hands and the ushers will bring one to you. Does anybody need a Bible? Is everybody good? Very good. Last week was easy because I got to tell the women what to do. This week will be a little bit more difficult because I'll need to do what I say. <laughs> and then for accountability purposes, my wife is here today. She was sick last week. I wonder if she was really sick. Hmm. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. Just one verse this morning. Chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Father, once again, I just pray that you would show us, Lord, the things that you have, the detail in these scriptures. Lord, not just to the men here today, but to us all, Father, as we have influence on younger couples, people who are dealing with things, whatever it might be, so that whoever we are, whatever our situation, that we would be well prepared for the good work that you set before us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. It's key to understand, or at least notice, what Peter says at the beginning, because there is a progression here. In verse 7, he says, husbands likewise. Like what? Well, you back up to chapter 3, verse 1. Wives likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Well, he's still building. If you look at chapter 2, verse 18, servants, be submissive to your masters. Backing up again, verse 13. Therefore, submit yourself to the ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme. And so he's been building upon this concept of submission, all for the purpose, well, we see it builds off of really verse 12. We've looked at this the last couple of weeks, saying, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation, the day that God has set apart, that they would hear the gospel and make a decision for it. And so, in order to achieve that purpose, we've been looking at a series of submission. Submission to the Lord, submission to government, 
submission in marriage. And so as we look at these details of our lives that can be so encompassing, we need to see the importance that God has placed towards that as we enter into the roles of marriage that we would truly embrace and assume our God-given roles. And it's not based upon, well, I can do that aspect better than he or she. It's do what you're told. Do what God has told you to do what God has instructed us to do. Do it with your whole heart. And as in anything in our human weakness, God will shore up the weak areas as well. And so as my wife is to submit to my leadership, I'm to submit to her as a leader. And it's kind of a contradictory statement if you think about it. Submission as a leader Well, we're told in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And so, we've been given a command, but we've been given an example. How am I to love my wife? Well, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. As he sacrificed himself. As Christ set apart some of his godly attributes and humbled himself and entered into this life for a definite purpose. As he went to the cross, as he was crucified upon that cross and gave of himself, it was for a particular purpose. Beforehand, he delivered the word. It was all for the benefit of his bride, the church. And I need to look at that example and take concepts of that example. How does spiritual leadership and being Lord of the house and submitting all mesh together? Well, again, Jesus' example in Philippians 2, verses 7 through 8, he made himself of no reputation. This means you have to have men, you have to have that mindset. You have to make the determination because that's contrary to what we've been told to submit ourselves. I've been told as a man to build myself up. I've been told to assume leadership and to hold on to it. I've been told to to dominate. I've been taught to, to, to lord over. But Jesus, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself <clears throat> excuse me, and became obedient to the point of death, even death upon the cross. How do we practically submit to our wives in this manner? Well, that's what Peter's talking about. Verse 7, husbands, likewise, in a mindset of submission, a mindset of setting aside those worldly concepts and the view that the world has on what a leader is to be, and submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ and the example that Jesus had set, that you would die to yourself, that you would die to these preconceived notions of what a leader is to be, of who a husband is to be, and seek what God has called you or who God has called you to be. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. First act of submission, men, husbands, is, well, it's to understand your wife. So right off, we're told something that's impossible to do. (laughs) Well, you are to work at understanding your wife. And just when you get them understood, they change. So it's a continuous act, no doubt. But I I, I say that in jest, but there's just those differences. And 
these are one of the things that caught me by surprise as I entered into marriage, how different, and I, I really mean this, how different she really was and how she perceived and viewed things different than me. And so I'll dwell with them with understanding. I need to understand, even though I can cut my own hair for free, over the course of our marriage, her hair is going to cost us thousands of dollars. But that's okay. That's a good thing because I don't want a bald wife. Understand that she will not necessarily agree that golf clubs should be purchased before the dinette set or about a hundred million other different things. Different perspectives. Understand that she will not know why it's necessary that I own ten different types of saws. I own a table saw, circle saw, saber saw, band saw, hand saw, dovetail saw, coping saw, back saw, chop saw, and cordless saw. And I also have acquired, since I've written this the first time, quite a few other saws. And so I got a lot of saws. And she's asking me, why do you need another saw? Well, I just do, dear. Understand why she needs more than 10 minutes to prepare herself for an event. See, my mindset in the, in the matter is, I don't care what I look like. That's your problem. <laughs> you got to look at me. I don't have to look at me. And I don't really look at other men or women for the purpose, so I don't really care. But these things, my point, these things are important, and I need to consider what is important to her. Even though... It was not important to me. It needs to become important to me or a priority in my life because that speaks volumes as I make, because she knows what I care about and don't care about. But as I make it, and I'm not talking about putting on a false front either, but as I make these things, her things, a priority in my life, that ministers to her and shows the importance of her in my view, because that is going to reveal my heart of love towards my wife. What do I understand after 38 years? I do understand, and I mean this seriously, that I will not fully understand her. That's between her and the Lord. But I am to work at understanding. I am to put forth the effort. I am to view her as the person that God has created her to be. And I need to enter into that as her husband to see her flourish in that. Ladies, if you marry somebody who is not a believer, young ladies here today, that's not what you're going to receive. And you're going to, if you will, pay the price for that. And so I need to see and assume the responsibility that God has set before me as the, not just husband, but as a husband of Terry and the uniqueness of who she is because God has caused the two of us to become one in that miracle of the marriage ceremony. We are to fulfill the image of God because God has brought us together. And that being the case, I have to do my part, she has to do her part. Because I just read this at a vow renewal yesterday, but it's so important. It says, uh, I'm in Genesis, not on the board, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. 
And so if I'm not ministering to her properly, then we are not properly fulfilling the image of God. Why is that important? Well, we talked about it already, but once again, back up to verse 12. Having your marriage honorable amongst the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good marriage, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. And even before pastor, not that we've had the perfect marriage, but we have made the determination between ourselves that our children are going to see nothing but a perfect marriage as much as depends upon us and others. And any conflict, we'll deal with it in a private way. And because of that, we've been able to minister to others. My wife had been able to minister, again, even before we started the church, to other young ladies who were getting married and going through the things that they do, and myself, young men as well. And so this is a ministry. Your marriage is a ministry to one another, but it is definitely a ministry to others. That's why you're fulfilling the image of God. And what I mean by that, other people will look at your marriage, the relationship that you have, and they would see something special, something unique about that. And God will use that to draw people unto himself. And so we've got to understand the importance here. There is one way that you will be able to understand them, guys. Only one way to really examine them, and that is to know them. The Greek word for understanding here is the Greek word gnosko. There's two Greek words for understanding. One is oida. This is to understand by learning. You can read all of the books in the world about women, but you will never understand them until you observe them personally. I can read my wife's history. I can go to her background. My wife's, a lot of her roots are in Germany. She has this family book that was written back a couple of hundred years. I could read all of that history and what led up to her life. Look at her life. But until I spend time with her, until I'm there with her, ministering to her and ministering with her, never will I completely understand her. So oida just isn't going to work in this particular area. That's to know by learning. It's gnosko. This is to understand by experience. An unbeliever can read the Bible and, and know about God, but until you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're never going to fully understand, you're never going to fully know God. And it was until I entered into that relationship. Now, this is to know her physically. I know God as God has created her and the beauty that she has. I think I mentioned it last week. Her Outward appearance is what first attracted me to her. It wasn't going to be what keeps me, but it was what first attracted me to her. It's the person that she is, as I learned who she is, that we developed a strong relationship that eventually led to marriage. But I also have to know her, not just physically, but I also have to know her verbally. I know God verbally. That's how God revealed himself. He sent the word. He sent Jesus Christ. And he even meshes the two together in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So you see the word, the communication, and you see the physical presence. And we beheld his glory, the glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And so to know her, I must mesh the two together. Now I have spent many hours examining her physically. And it's been a pleasure and I enjoy it immensely. But problem, a recent survey, the average husband and wife spend 37 minutes a week in actual communication. 
Now, I'm a typical man to a degree. I don't have in-depth conversations all the time unless you're talking about fishing or golf or, or something like that. And I rarely have conversations like that with my wife. That was something that I had to learn. I, I can remember when we first got married, we had an apartment sitting at the breakfast table, and every day of my life before I got married, I would sit there with my lucky charms, and I would have the Los Angeles Times, and I would read the sports section. And so after we got married, I would sit down at the table, I would pour my cereal, open the sports section, and then she would start talking to me. And I can remember thinking, can't she see that I'm eating and reading the newspaper? Now, I, I say it to be funny, but it was true. What kind of idiot are you? I don't know what kind of idiot I was. I don't know how many different kinds there are, but that was something that I just didn't have to do beforehand. But now, all of a sudden, I'm ministering to somebody. All of a sudden, now these two have become one, and I need to throw some of those old things out. I need to make changes and even sacrifices for the benefit of our relationship and what God wants to achieve through it. Today, it will involve turning off the iPad rather than closing the newspaper, but there are those times that I, I, I certainly need to do it. It's something that I even continue to struggle with today. And so what we need to understand, men, is the verbal is the priority even for the physical because it's through the verbal that they are going, well, you're going to be revealed to her, that you... Consider the importance of who they are enough to sit down and to have that interaction, to come home and to give her that personal attention, to talk about the day. See, again, when I was younger, I was an electrical contractor, and I'd work 12-hour days, whatever it might be, and you know, doing things. I have to deal with clients. I have to deal with uh, contractors, other contractors, employees, and all of these things. I'm tired of talking to people. I come home, she spent the day with these young children. We had four children. She wants to have some kind of adult conversation. And so we've got an issue right off. She wants to talk. I don't want to talk. I don't even really want to listen. And, and so it's this area that we need to make the sacrifice, put in the effort, and to overcome for the benefit of the relationship. I look back now and I see in this area the failure that I was. And I encourage others to, to find victory in this area. Men, we can be like a file cabinet. I've used this illustration before. As far as it's dinner, well, let's sit down and eat dinner. It's time to go to bed, well, let's go to bed. And, you know, do, and my wife, to minister to her, she's like a scroll. You have to start at the beginning, you have to sit down, you have to go through the conversations, and you have to, you know, she, it's, it's more of a process with me. I can stop anything and do something else at a moment's notice. But for her, she's just different, and different is good. Different is good if you recognize, if you understand, if you take the time to know, to examine and again, before, as I say these things, if you think Mrs. Pastor Mike is the luckiest woman in the world, the most blessed woman in the world, I struggle in these things, and I'm still working on them. But that's the whole thing. We all always will, because we reach forward to the higher calling in Christ Jesus as he set the example, knowing that we'll never obtain, but to put forth the effort is what we are to do. We'll be attacked in this area, there's no doubt, because marriage is one of the most attacked uh, institutions that there are. And so, 
The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present to her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. <clears throat> For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband." I need respect, and this is a sacrificial respect, just as I am to sacrificially love her because I'm not going to do it perfectly. We're two imperfect people that are struggling to do the godly thing. We're people who still struggle against the flesh, although the Holy Spirit will fill us and we will find victory in these things. And I guarantee you, now that I'm at the this part, this end of my marriage, after 38 years, I see the value in it, the value to continue to push forward. Secondly, the second act of submission husbands to their wives is to give honor to her as the weaker vessel. Now, it's important to understand what that does not mean. It does not mean that your wife is inferior to you in any way whatsoever. It does not mean that she is weaker in intellect, character, or in spiritual matters. Matter of fact, in some of those areas, she may be superior to you. It simply means that they are the physically weaker and we are to provide and protect for them. But also, and this should convict you men as they have been commanded to submit to your leadership, they are weaker in that they are made vulnerable to you because of their role of submission to your leadership. And so I've got great responsibility, keeping in mind once again, I'm not just leading my wife, I'm leading God's child in the things that she needs to do and the way that she needs to go or the way that we need to go. And so, weaker vessel, she's been put in that place of vulnerability to my spiritual leadership. Men, look at your wives, how you doing? Look at your wife's relationship with Jesus Christ. How's your leadership? And that should convict us all. It should convict us all when we take into consideration, well, maybe even the reason you're here. Is the reason that you are here, those of you who are married, is it because you made the determination that you were going to church? Or is it because she made the determination that you're going to church? We need to consider those things. Because I need, we need to stand up and to take that role. Because this is where the church is failing today. Especially, I'm not going to count everybody here or who's here today, but especially in our evening services, it's a little bit obvious. We're probably about 75% women and 25% men, if even that great of a ratio. Men need to stand up and assume spiritual leadership. Our children are dying, not physically, but spiritually, because men have not done this. My father, 
I mimicked my father. I walked in my father's footsteps in so many ways. I walked in his footsteps in ways that he told me not to, although he did those things and I did them as well. Now, if I'm walking in the footsteps of the Lord, my children are going to walk in the footsteps of the Lord. But if not, they're going to follow the way that I have set. My grandson is with us right now, and he calls me Baba. Everybody calls me Papa. He calls me Baba. And so first thing in the morning, he grabs a banana and Baba, and he sits next to me on the couch. This morning, my wife and I were doing our devotions. I sat down, and I heard him yelling, Baba. And so he came, he sat next to me, and he goes like this. And it's so cute, but it also strikes terror into my heart as far as the example and the responsibility that I have as being that influence in his life. And so the kids are watching, and am I rising up? Am I taking that responsibility, or am I dumping it on her? And there's so many women that are getting dumped on this particular area. God has strengthened you, not her, to be that leader within the home. You must rise up and take that responsibility. The church desperately needs you to do so. Because again, we just see so many people that are out there and floundering around spiritually rather than standing up and standing strong and pushing forward in the kingdom of heaven. They are weaker again. They've made vulnerable to your leadership. We saw that example last week, if you remember Sarah and Abraham. Abraham should have been her knight in shining armor as he led her into Egypt. But what was he concerned about? He was concerned about what Pharaoh would do to him, not concerned about what Pharaoh would do to his wife. He asked her, probably commanded her, to say that she was his uh, sister. Pharaoh came and asked his sister, and Pharaoh took her into her harem. God protected her. She was submitted to the leadership of her husband. And because of the grace of God, God blessed nonetheless. But we see Abraham's failure. Because of his spiritual weakness, really, Sarah was the spiritual hero. Why was Eve deceived? Because she wanted to be more spiritual, but her leader was not present, and she was led astray. Adam, wanting the physical, wanting, and I just mean wanting Eve, he ate of the forbidden fruit. He ate of this forbidden fruit. He allowed himself to be influenced by, remember, in this particular case, Adam got the direct revelation of God and what God wanted and what God desired. He, in turn, was to deliver it to Eve. And I don't know what happened with that tree. If he just didn't do it, if he did it halfway, however he did, but when she ate of that fruit, instead of standing strong, he compromised and ate it with her. They should have been together, and they should have been strong together, supporting one another in their God-ordained roles. I could not stand up here. I would not be the pastor of this church today if not for my wife. And it wouldn't be just... Wives are not interchangeable. Our society has made them so, but because of not just my wife, but that wife of mine, I couldn't stand up here and be the pastor that I am today. As God calls one to the ministry, he actually calls two to the ministry. She fulfills her role, and she has done so in the midst of ministry. Since we started just being in children's ministry and all, we had both of our roles, and we moved forward in those, and we did well in ministry and continue to do it even today. So this spiritual concept of men and women and the weaker vessel, just to give by way of illustration, 
my wife comes home from the grocery store and she'll bring something in, but then she'll yell to me, I need you to bring the groceries in. Well, I'm sitting watching the game or the tournament or whatever it is I'm watching, and I'm thinking, why can't she just do it this time? But then I'll get my carcass up off the couch because I don't want to give her something to talk about. (laughs) See, when she comes in, if I'm not home, she'll bring in a bag or two, but what do I do? Well, what I do is I load up my arms with over $300 worth of groceries. See, what she needed a cart and a bag boy to do, that's the beauty of these bags. You just load them all in and you come carry them all in at at one time. Really, I want her to see my rippling biceps. (laughs) But she looks at this act of manhood and actually what she sees is, you're going to break the eggs. What are you doing? How come you're breaking? You're going to hurt yourself. And it's just like, really? But she does appreciate the fact that The man in the relationship does the man things. I think some of those things that I do that she refers to as stupid, I think she does appreciate those things because those are the things that men do. I appreciate the things that women do. Even as I started, I'm happy to spend the thousands of dollars, not just at one time, but over the course of a lifetime, for her to have her hair done. I like when she has her hair done, and I like how she has her hair done, and and the other things that she does, and how she dresses, and all the feminine things. I don't want a masculine. I want the feminine. I want her to be the woman that God has created her to be. I appreciate that. And we need to appreciate that in one another, not trying to cause the person to fulfill the image of who you think they should be, but allow them to, to, to just find victory in who God is calling them to be. And the only way that that is going to happen is, again is as a man to lead her in the Lord in the things of the Lord. Because we've been influenced to such a great degree in the world and the things of the world. And this is a point of contention. Not between so much husband and wife, but between the spiritual and the physical. We have streamed into our homes on TV what a man is supposed to be, what the world says a man's supposed to be, or a woman is supposed to be, or a husband or a wife. And it fails miserably when you compare it to the scriptures or in movies or, again, whatever the example that is set today. And I think that's a great reason why we're failing while even the church is failing in our God-ordained roles. I need to care for my wife as the weaker vessel from my perspective, and I really believe that she appreciates that. I need to care for my wife as the spiritual weaker vessel. Not that she is, but I need to be of that mindset because she desires and needs what I have to offer or what God has to offer through me as her husband. Because again, even in an unsafe state, I'm thoroughly convinced that it was God who has brought us together and it's God who has kept us together. And so as I do these things, then our marriage is all that it can be or at least on the road to all that it can be. If not, it's never going to be all that it can be. She's going to be frustrated. I'm going to be frustrated. I'm going to be focused upon what she's not doing. She's going to be focused upon what I'm not doing. And it's going to bring arguments and it's just going to bring dissension between the two of us. But as we do what God has called us to do, we see the unity that God is able to bring in a husband and wife. 
we've done personal devotions for so long, and I don't know how many years that we've been devotion, done devotions together, but we have made that time that we spend together. We do it in the morning, and just to focus upon one another, and God has been faithful in the midst of that. God has been faithful in all of our weaknesses and the mistakes that we have made. God has been faithful in our just flat-out disobedience. But it's just over the course of a lifetime that we see that God is in it. And God is doing the work. And I guarantee you today, if you look at your relationship, your marriage, wherever it is, if you look hard enough, you will see the hand of God and learn to build on that which you see God has done and see God do greater works as you put forth the effort. And in essence, I'm talking to the men, but it relates to the women as well. In verse 27 of Genesis chapter 1, I I read earlier, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Now see the singular there, but then he goes to, he created a male and female. He created them. It takes a husband and wife, if you've been called to be married, to fulfill the image of God. So for Terry and I to fulfill the ministries that God has given us, We must be united together in the Lord, fulfilling his image. As we do that, we will prevail. As you do that, you will prevail. And so again, there might be people here who are single, been called to be single or married, no longer, whatever the case may be, we have to be well-versed in this area in order to set an example, in order to speak the example that Christ has given us through the scriptures, because this is foundational to what the church is. Absolute foundation, obviously, is Jesus Christ and the Word of God. But if marriages fall apart, the core of society falls apart, case in point. Just look outside of your front door and things we we see out there. But as we hold together in these things, we see the victory that God is able to achieve. So, we, we see the differences here in First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, as far as the role of the wife. Verse 7, the role of the husband. <clears throat> this tells me I best represent God when I'm being the man that God has called me to be. And from cover to cover, there's the instruction on how to be a man that God has called you to be. My wife best represents God when she is being the woman that God has called her to be. And again, from cover to cover, God makes his word very personal into our lives. As she is being the woman that God has called her to be, then then we're seeing things flourish. There's nothing worse or as unnatural as a man who will not lead his wife. There's nothing worse or as unnatural as a woman leading her husband. I was at the Bible college, and this woman... There's some married people there. It's all younger people for the most part. And these couple hadn't been married very long. And um, this one wife drug her husband up there and says, I'm kind of the dominant one in the relationship. And it just doesn't seem right. And I see in the Bible, da-da-da-da. And he's just kind of sitting there, just kind of looking. And, you know, here she goes again, embarrassing me. And it's just like, and I just look at him, and he's looking away from me. And I'm just thinking... I don't know any of their background or any of that detail, but they've got to start back from zero. They've got to start back from zero. This guy, he needs to man up, but not man up as far as what the world says. He needs to man up according to what the scripture says. He needs to embrace his role that God has given him. 
And it's very unfortunate. A lot of times I see a woman leading, being the spiritual leader of the house, simply because they have to, because the man won't do so. And so, am I leading my wife properly? Am I being the leader that God has called me to be? Is she growing? Is she flourishing in the Lord Jesus Christ? Or is she having to take an unnatural role for herself, the role that I'm supposed to take? The world will tell you that there is no difference between men and women. and We've seen how ridiculous that is in our society. There is a difference. God has created us either male or female, and he has done so for his particular purposes. When we as a society embrace that reality, our society does well. What has we done now? We've just sown confusion that a child born as a male or female, well, we'll make, let them make that determination later on. God's already made that determination, and God's already done what he has done. Now, if we flourish in that, and again, our society will prosper. If not, Our society is not long for this world. Third act of submission to my wife is to be heirs together of the grace of life that you're, that our men, our prayers, may not be hindered. Do you see the importance of obedience in this area? That God is saying this is a sin of such degree that if you're ignoring your leadership, then your prayers aren't going to be heard by God. And the idea is that nothing else is going to be of more importance than what I have called you to do in your home. And this is where it's going to start. And so if you're continually asking God, Lord, you need to change or no, you just need to start being the leader that God has called you to do. And then God will do a work through that. Because if you need to be changed, or if she needs to be changed, God will do so as we assume the roles that God has set before us. But as I try to do these things in the flesh, it's never going to be accomplished in the flesh. He speaks here of the grace of life. What is this form? What is this grace of life? There are five ways that grace is spoken of in the Bible. First of all, grace, it's the source of our salvation. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. So God developed his plan of salvation for mankind because he was gracious. Now, it was motivated by love, but it was because he's gracious. Secondly, well, first, we saw it's the source of salvation. Secondly, it's also how we are saved. Romans chapter 3, verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So it's because of grace that he developed the plan. It's because of grace that he executed the plan. It's how we receive a office of ministry, thirdly, in 1 Corinthians 5.10, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Paul saying I was able to accomplish all that I was able to accomplish. By the grace of God, you can also equate it to what we're talking about, I became a husband. By the grace of God, she became a wife. I didn't deserve to become a husband. I don't deserve her and vice versa she didn't deserve to become a wife or she does not deserve me but it was by the grace of God that he has placed the two together fourthly grace is the source of our spiritual gifting and part of our spiritual gifting is for the purpose of being a husband or a wife Romans chapter 12 verse 6 having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us let us use them 
And then lastly, and this is the context of what we're talking about or what Peter's talking about here in verse 7 of chapter 3, grace, this is how you stand in the sight of God. In your obedience to the Lord, you stand before the Lord in grace. And the idea is, is that you are in the place where God will bless you. It's by God's grace that he blesses you, but God does not bless disobedience. And so as I'm obedient to his word, I still don't deserve the blessings that he gives me, but he does. His face shines upon me. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. You have fallen from the place where God will bless you. This is not in relationship to salvation. It's positional. And so verses 1 through 7 This is how you need to conduct your marriage if you want God to be gracious to your marriage, to God to bless your marriage. Take any other philosophy of how a marriage should be into a marriage. It's the same as trying to achieve salvation through works. It's impossible, and it will just kill the both of you. Divorce courts are full of people who took worldly advice into their marriage and failed and at some point gave up. This is to be in a position where God will hear your prayer and God will turn his face towards you. And so again, you can come up to me after the service and give me every reason in the world why you should not fulfill the details of roles that we have looked at today and last week. And I can only give you one reason why you should. And it's because God said, okay, two reasons. Because God said, And that's what God is going to bless. God does not, if you have a better, you got a better idea than God, go for it. See where it leads you. I pray you don't go for it, but it's not going to lead to a good place. What we do is, what we need to do is to take God's ideas and see them prevail in our lives. Psalm 119, verse 135, make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. These are statutes that we learn for the purpose of God's face shining upon us and that we would live lives that glorify him so that those Gentiles, the idea is unbelievers, may see our good marriage which they observe and glorify God in the day of their visitation. Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord, for for God, your word. And Lord, we thank you for your grace in the areas that we have failed and how you shore those up and enable us to overcome our failures and how we are still able to prevail in you. And so, Lord, I just pray right now that you would bless us and I pray as you have spoken your word that you would enable us to do your word as we leave this place. I just want to ask anybody here, everybody here who's married, just to stand up and allow me to pray over you. If you're married today, stand up. Father, you see these people who stand before you. And Lord, we stand before you in all of our humanness, all of our weakness, but we also stand before you, Lord, in your grace. And understand, Lord, our shortcomings that you are able to overcome. And so, Father, I just pray that your hand would be upon every man and woman in this place today. I pray for the marriages and the families that are represented here, God. 
And I pray, Father, that we would realize the power that is available to us through obedience to your word. And, Father, the things that you want to do to to influence the, the world, Lord. And not just the world, but also the future generations. And so, Father, we just repent of the past and the things that that, Lord, the areas that we have failed and acted contrary to your word, and just pray, Father, for the victories that you have set before us. I pray, Father, that those would be the things that we would reach forward towards. And so, Lord, again, just bless those who are in this place today. I pray for those who are not standing, Lord, and I pray that you would prepare them, Father, to either live this information in a future date through a future spouse, or, Lord, that we would be able to give that reason for the hope that is within us, that, Lord, they would have that same hope, and that, Lord, others would have the marriages that you desire for them to have. So, Father, we just thank you for this day, and we just pray, Lord, that you would bless the unions, Father, that you have fostered within our lives, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. The rest of you can go ahead and stand. Just a couple of announcements. We're having a Mercy House meeting, a meeting for Mercy House. It's the uh, outreach to the homeless. It's going to be in high school. It's just going to be kind of mostly an update of what's going on. There's just a lot of governmental things that we have to deal with. You can't just go cook food and bring it and give it to people. They don't. Oh, that's against the law. And so uh, we're having to go through all this. It's taken a while. Our blanket drive, we've gotten some sleeping bags and blankets. We'll be bringing those to Mercy House this week. But anyway, it's going to be in the high school room after service. There will be somebody up here for prayer after service. Um, Our Christmas celebration is next week. We're having a play, and so I encourage you to come on out and invite somebody. I'm going to be giving an evangelical type of message and seeing what God wants to do. Do we still need actors, Ruthie? Yeah, we still need a Joseph. Um, She'll take anybody, even if you're an old person. (laughs) No, I guess not. Okay. Tonight, we'll be back in Second Chronicles here at 6 o'clock. God bless you guys. Centuries old, the birth of Messiah has been long foretold that unto you, now unto you, Christ is come. Let all creation sing. Oh, hail the newborn King, the Word made flesh now dwells among us. Christ is come. Those born in darkness seen a great light the redeemer of our hearts has been born this night now unto you now unto you Christ 
Good afternoon. God bless you guys. It was really, I just got to say this, it was really a blessing to uh, be worshiping with you guys. There is prayer up front and have a great